0: Welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast, bringing you the latest in health and technology through interviews with disruptive startups and leaders. Subscribers get a new episode every Thursday at 6pm, and I'm your host, James Somery. Hey everybody, this week we are talking about medical imaging, and specifically we're talking about ultrasound technology and a brand new innovation in that space. So my guest this week is Darius Shahida, and he's head of growth and chief of staff at Butterfly Network, which is a company developing brand new ultrasound technology and completely revolutionising, to be honest, the way that ultrasound is done. So I wouldn't ban that around very lightly, but they've raised $250 million. They're valued at $1.25 billion. The likes of the Gates Foundation have invested in them. And so I'm super excited to have Darius and the team on because what they're doing, I think, is potentially game-changing. And so what they're doing, to give you a bit of an overview, we go into a bit of detail about this in the podcast, but they're taking the essentials of ultrasound, so piezoelectric crystals, and they're changing that to a brand new system called semiconductors. And you don't need to know much about the physics involved in there other than to know that by making that shift, you no longer have a lot of the restrictions that the piezoelectric crystals put on the hardware. So instead of having multiple probes, you can have one. Instead of it being big and bulky, it can be super portable. It can connect to smartphone devices. And then, obviously, you can plug in lots of different software components, um, no less than computer vision and things like that. So, really interesting podcast. We go into Darius's background from hedge funds to now coming operational. We talk about, as I say, the tech itself, we cover the business model, what they're looking to do in healthcare, and I recently wrote a Forbes article outlining all of this too. Um, so if you want to check that out, head over to the description of this episode, and in that description you can find links to all of our socials as well as the links to Butterfly Network and Darius' LinkedIn if you want to connect with him. So guys, enjoy this episode cool so darius welcome to the hs health tech podcast how are you doing
1: thank you so much for having me i'm great thank you
0: no problems at all looking forward to it whereabouts are you speaking to us today from darius
1: i am sitting in our office here in a flat iron district in new york city
0: oh very nice what a wonderful city new york is we actually have uh i think a quarter of our listeners are based in the u.s and of those a significant chunk are out in new york so hello to everybody listening there So Darius, why don't you kick off by telling us your story? I know that we've had a quick call before, and obviously there's the Forbes article that I wrote on you guys, so I've done a a fair amount of research on you, but it'd be great to hear about your background first of all, and then we can kick off and hear more about Butterfly. So why don't you tell us your story?
1: Happy to. Um, So my name is Darius Shahida. I'm the head of growth and chief of staff at Butterfly Network. Um, And before I get into what I do here at Butterfly, it might be helpful just to give a little context in terms of who I am, both academically and professionally. Um, my background academically uh, was originally in neuroscience and behavioral economics. I studied at Duke um, and worked in the lab of Dan Ariely, who's a famous behavioral economist here in the United States, known for several of his books, Predictably Irrational being one of them. And uh, my interest academically was really in decision-making, both the biological basis and then Uh, how it manifests operationally and in terms of the psychology of decision-making as well. Um, And so that's what I studied as an undergrad, but I decided I wanted to go learn about investing and spend some time in the financial industry, initially at an investment bank and then at a healthcare-focused hedge fund where I spent a couple years before really realizing that what I was missing, um, because it was in fact fun to invest in companies uh, in the healthcare space, but uh, what, what I was really me- missing was the operational side of the business. And so after a couple years in healthcare investing, working for this hedge fund in New York, I decided I want to go back to school, learn the operational skill set so that I can actually be on the other side of the table and help actually build and run a healthcare or biotechnology business. And so I, I left the hedge fund I was working for, uh, went to Harvard to pursue my MBA. And it was at Harvard that I met Jonathan Rothberg, our founder, who's a serial entrepreneur in the biotechnology and life science space. And after about a week of speaking with him and interviewing with him, uh, really what he shared with me was this incredible world at 4Catalyzer, which is our incubator, with all these different innovative and disruptive companies that was effectively exactly what I went to graduate school uh, to come out and work with. And so just so happened that I met him whilst I was in school. And so um, there it began a two year. Um, two-year process where, whereby I was working and going to school at the same time, uh, a lot of commuting, but ultimately it was an incredible two years and we've come so far in that time.
0: That's amazing, you were, you were working and doing a Harvard MBA at the same time.
1: Yes, yeah, I was uh, going to class up in Cambridge and then jumping on a flight to or train to New York City uh to be here with the team. So <laughs> it was it was extremely um extremely um, you know, logistically challenging, but it was also extremely rewarding. And really my first task when I came to Butterfly was to help with our fundraising efforts. Um, at the time we were doing our Series D capital raise, uh, we ended up raising $250 million in, in about six months uh, at a billion dollar pre-money valuation. So it was a it was a fun side project, if you will while I was getting my MBA, um, and since then, <laughs> <laughs> since then you know, my focus has really um, shifted here at Butterfly to helping um, lead and oversee our commercial and demand-gen focused efforts on a global basis, um, as well as our global health and uh, business development and strategic efforts.
0: There are not many people that either have been on this podcast nor listened to this podcast that would consider a $250 million raise as a side project. But congratulations to you for even being able to to do that and call it that. I'm interested in a bit of your background there that I'd like to expand on a little bit. So the healthcare-focused hedge fund. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I mean, we've got so we've got a lot of clinicians that listen. We've got um, obviously a lot of people in corporates that listen, a lot of entrepreneurs and, and startups as well as investors. Probably half the people that listen probably know what a hedge fund even is. But a healthcare-specific one sounds super interesting. So could you just tell us a little bit more about that and explain kind of what your day-to-day was at that hedge fund?
1: Sure. Um, so our mandate at the hedge fund was was what we call cross-asset special situations. And what that means in practice is that we invested – in both public and private markets, in equity and in debt. And uh, we had a pretty, I would say, diverse and broad mandate insofar as we could look at pretty much any company that was either raising capital or trading publicly or privately. Um, And I initially joined the the firm to focus on healthcare investing as an analyst. And after about four or five months there, I was promoted to head of trading. And so I oversaw all of our trading uh, across the hedge fund which had about a billion dollars in assets under management. So it was a really interesting time um, in the markets, both public and private, because what I saw was a lot of really interesting technologies coming to market um, in the public markets, in the sequencing space, um, in the oncology space. Um, And and there was really a lot of investor appetite and demand at the time. And that's what really piqued my interest, uh, wanting to make the shift from the investing side of the table to the operating side of the table
0: yeah and obviously with that upbringing you can also think like an investor which gives you such an advantage when you end up going operational especially when you're then involved in things like fundraising and i imagine your contacts must have been incredible to then you know move into into butterfly and and obviously raise that money you know i joke about it being a side project but obviously requires a heck of amount of work but must have been significantly easier with with the knowledge and the background and the um i guess the context that you developed over that time?
1: The, the, uh, the luxury of, of being at Butterfly is that the technology we brought to market is so disruptive, so innovative, um, so impactful that really the universe of investors that was looking at us was, was quite broad. And so we had the luxury of being able to effectively select our investors. And, and therefore, it was important for us, for Jonathan, for myself, for Joel and the operating team to really align and take capital from folks who shared our mission of doing well by doing good uh, and really democratizing medical imaging. And Mm. that's why we we had the good fortune of having folks like Bill Gates and his foundation as an investor, Um, Fidelity, very well-known investor here in the United States, led the rounds. And then we had a a fantastic syndicate of international and domestic investors who really aligned with us on this mission, which which was really great.
0: Nice. And I definitely will ask you more about the people that came in. But first, I want to ask you about Jonathan. And I want to ask about how you met Jonathan. You mentioned you met him whilst you were doing your MBA. And obviously, he's got an incredible background. And he's been given awards by Barack Obama and and all sorts of cool stuff for, for the companies that he's had in the past and being, you know, like a serial Uh, life science entrepreneur but yeah tell me a little bit more about Jonathan and tell me about when you when you met him and and yeah what what he's like and and how you guys sort of clicked and and how you went into into this company together
1: uh, it was totally serendipitous, uh, complete happenstance. We were introduced. Uh, to you you mutual... always make
0: your own luck, though, Darius. <laughs> I, I say this to everybody. Everybody's so modest, and they say it was complete serendipity. It's never complete serendipity. You were in the right place at the right time. that's, that's <laughs> an exactly. MBA at Harvard will probably do that for you.
1: <laughs> well, that's true. It does increase your probability of success, and certainly <laughs> the the network is is a fantastic one. I I was introduced to him through. Um, a, a mutual uh, relationship that we had uh, with someone uh, who was a mutual friend of both of ours and really um, the the meeting and the, the days I spent with Jonathan were incredibly um, educational and insightful um, there are very few entrepreneurs who can you know change um, and, and frankly create an industry um, once in their life and there are even fewer who can do it twice and when I when I say that with regards to Jonathan, what I'm referring to is you know, his claim to fame, so to speak, was creating the next generation sequencing market as we know it today by putting sequencing on a chip. And so I'd followed his entrepreneurship in that space. What I didn't know, which I learned at the time, is that he was doing it all over again, but this time with medical imaging. Butterfly Network, obviously, the company that we'll discuss today, was really uh, an opportunity for Jonathan to create a new industry all over again and really expand a market that had been awakened, but not really um, reached critical mass as of yet. Um, Perhaps even more remarkable was the fact that Butterfly at the time was one of four companies that he was running. Um, And and so just the the idea that someone has the bandwidth to run four (laughs) disruptive companies um, at the same time with such incredible technical teams, that to me was, was really impressive. And frankly, I'd never met anyone like that. Um, so it, it's, it was truly humbling to, to have the opportunity to be a part of uh, his, his core team and to help bring these technologies to market. And I'm, um, I'm very happy uh, and grateful to say that we've raised over $700 million across these four companies, mm-hmm. which, uh, which is pretty remarkable.
0: It, it, it reminds me of the phrase that that gets banded around. That what is it if if somebody offers you a place on the rocket ship, you don't ask what seat, you just get on.
1: If the <laughs> spaceship lands in your that, backyard, right? yep. If the spaceship lap lands in your backyard, you just get in. We <laughs> say that all the time here.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So tell me, let, let's go. Let's go into butterfly then. So you meet sure. Jonathan. You, he brings you onto the rocket ship. It's it's Series B funding. You know, two hundred fifty million dollars in. You've now got a $1.25 billion uh, valuation. Whereabouts is the company in its life cycle when you enter? And what are you brought in to do?
1: Sure. So at the time when we were raising our Series D um, round, we were pre-commercial. We had not yet shipped, but we had received the broadest FDA clearance ever for an ultrasound device, which was granted in the fall of 2017. And so really the purpose of the round was to Uh, raise institutional capital to accelerate our go-to-market and to commercialize this technology, um, which is effectively what we've done over the last two or so years since I joined. Um, The the interesting dynamic was because we were pre-commercial, but we had already announced our product, we had an unprecedented amount of demand that was being captured in these reservations that we had online. And so what we were dealing with was really an opportunity to bring a product to market that we already knew had incredible product market fit. And
0: -hmm. that, of
1: course, was compelling to our investors. It was also compelling to our team because it validated all of the hard work that had gone into uh, really bringing this technology to market and to, to the point where it was ready to be introduced to the broader world.
0: So talk to me about the product then. Let's describe the product to me so that our listeners can kind of visualize it and understand what it is we're actually dealing with here. And particularly, we can have a chat about the the technology behind it and why it's so innovative, I think.
1: Absolutely. Um, So at Butterfly, we've created the world's lowest cost and first portable whole body ultrasound device. The reason why that's so important is because for the last 60 years, all of the ultrasound devices on the market, both portable and cart-based, have been predicated on something called piezoelectric or PZT technology. At Butterfly, we put ultrasound on a semiconductor chip. And in so doing, we dramatically reduced the cost of of ultrasound, making it affordable at less than $2,000, less than 2,000 pounds, less than 2,000 euros. Um, Importantly, we coupled this really disruptive hardware with pretty intuitive and incredible software. And, and, and that's why we refer to ourselves as a full stack imaging solution. We have the device, but we also have this software as a service which enables all sorts of communication, collaboration, and interpretation tools that make it not only affordable for medical practitioners to access ultrasound but also easy for them to use it. And so as you can appreciate, given your background, there's 40 million healthcare practitioners globally, But 39 million of them likely have not used ultrasound in their daily practice. And so it's our goal to really democratize this imaging modality once and for all.
0: Cool. So there'll be a lot of radiologists that are listening. There'll be a lot of anesthetists that are listening. They often give us feedback on a few bits and bobs that come in. So I'm just, I just want to break this down and, and just try and get everybody to understand how innovative this, this actually is. So sure. currently, currently what is happening, and, and for all the other clinicians and, and investors and people that listen, so currently the way ultrasound works is that you have a few different ultrasound machines. You've got super-duper ones that sit in radiology that don't move, And at the other end of the scale, you've got kind of what we would call right now, portable ultrasound machines that are still pretty bulky They're, you know, on wheels and you sort of wheel them around, et cetera. And you have to use multiple different probes depending on what part of the body, because you have bigger probes for deeper and wider and you have smaller probes for obviously shallower and thinner, et cetera. So what you're saying is that with a full stack imaging solution, which is the phrase that you've just used there you're actually innovating the hardware and the software involved in ultrasound scanning. Is that right? That's
1: absolutely right. And I couldn't have said it better myself because this is chip-based technology. We no longer need multiple probes to image the entire body. We can do it with this one transducer, which is semiconductor
0: right. based. And so the, and so that's, and so that is the first part of the, the, the innovation, right. That I am hooking onto, which is, the piezoelectric crystals, which is the sort of basis of ultrasound. And I don't want, I don't want to butcher the explanation of what piezoelectric crystals are for, for the experts that are listening, but essentially you're converting ultrasound signals into electric signals or, or vice versa, right? Which you can then display on a monitor. But essentially what you're saying is you don't then need to use those crystals. What you can do is you can put this on a semiconductor chip removing the need for that dropping the cost but it also means that the ultrasound probes you no longer need to have different sizes because it can all just be done on the one probe
1: absolutely and and therein lies really the disruptive power and potential of semiconductors you know you and i are both young guys james but even in our short lifetimes we've seen the power of disruption of semiconductors really Mm. upend markets multiple times we saw it first with computing, we then saw it with the advent of digital film. You might recall a company called Kodak, which was the original film producer. They filed for bankruptcy after you know, uh, the uh, innovators like Sony came to market with the digital film solution. And then we saw it for a third time actually with Jonathan, as I mentioned and the advent of sequencing on a semiconductor chip. So mm-hmm. really we see this as the the, forthcoming if you will of semiconductor based technology upending and creating a a, a new market
0: and along with that fundamental technology change there are also more forgive the term superficial elements that you've included from a hardware perspective i.e the fact that it can connect to smart devices
1: yes yeah i i mean one of the most um I would say interesting commercial opportunities uh, for us was finding the right conduit, the right operating system to make this ubiquitous and universal. Mm. And smartphones are are the one technology which have really become ubiquitous across the world, and no matter the the geography, no matter how desolate, no matter the socioeconomic um, uh, means of of the end user. And so for us, it was really important, given that our mission is to democratize medical imaging to create a hardware software solution that lived on this platform that was indeed being used by medical practitioners everywhere.
0: And so with so with this brand new ultrasound, you know, a single probe can ultrasound anywhere in the body, we're now connecting this to a smart device. The final bit of it is then obviously the software that underpins all of that stuff. Now, when I was an anesthetist, you know, I was putting in difficult lines using ultrasound. I was putting in often easy lines and central lines. You're ultrasounding organs. You're checking for fluid in places. You're doing lots and lots of different things. And with the portable ultrasound machines, you can drag it around intensive care. You you, you know, there'll be a couple in A&E that you'll use for various bits and bobs. And I think one of the things that, even when I was a clinician, that I, that, that crossed my mind was just how you know you turn it on, you'd have to input loads of patient details, it'd be really slow, it would and only then would you get the thing up, and even then it just it wouldn't really be that interoperable with other things that you wanted to use. It wouldn't be easy to record the information. It seemed like there was a there was a software play there for for a long time that that could have been done i mean with you connecting a single probe to to a smartphone i assume it must be relatively easy to start adding in various bits of functionality based on basic stuff like in you know more more basic stuff like interoperability with with emrs but then i suppose even computer vision and other things like that you you might you must be starting conversations like that even now
1: Absolutely right. Um, You know, at the core of our company is what we call our virtuous cycle, which is the notion that as we sell more devices, these devices then capture through the cloud all of this important information, which is anonymized, pushed up into the cloud. And then we train um, these AI and machine learning applications on these large labeled curated data sets, which in Mm -hmm. turn become more predictive, more efficient. And so we have an incredibly robust AI Um, roadmap, wherein we're creating applications alongside partners like the Gates Foundation for very real clinically impactful use cases, right? Gestational age approximation, pediatric pneumonia screening. We've also built applications our our own here in-house, like an ejection fraction uh, interpretation. We're working on AAA, and we have a a really exciting uh, AI product roadmap as well, because that is really part of that that initial discussion we were having which is it's one thing to make ultrasound affordable at less than $2000 the more nuanced challenge for universal ultrasound adoption has been um, image acquisition and interpretation and so to the extent that we can leverage the advances in ai and machine learning to build applications that allow any one of those 40 million healthcare practitioners globally to use her device that is really going to be the key to unlocking this this market opportunity. And when you also couple it, I'm sorry, when you also couple it with an easier workflow, et cetera, it, it then becomes clear how you cross the chasm and you get to this mass market adoption.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about your positioning in the market then, because one thing that, that you mentioned there was price. And you're coming in at, you know, under two grand, which Is cheap when it comes to ultrasound, right? And so in my head, I've kind of got like a quadrant going on of of sort of quality and price. And I suppose a a third thing you could uh, you could put in there is sort of how bulky things are. And you're coming in at like super portable, super cheap. Where do you sit on quality?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, The beautiful thing is this is version one of our device, and because it's semiconductor um, based. Version one of our device is roughly equivalent to a sixty to eighty thousand USD CARP based solution, and Mm. so we're I would say we're at the medium to high end of the market, but we're certainly not at the ultra high end, right? And so you had mentioned multi hundred thousand dollar CARP based systems that radiologists and anesthetists are using. The reality is, our device we don't see it as replacing those, at least not yet. But as I said, the beautiful thing about semiconductors is that with each successive iteration, with each tape out, you benefit from Moore's law. And the performance curve that you see is unlike anything that could ever be experienced in piezoelectric crystal-based technology, right? It's really going from Mm -hmm. analog to digital, as we saw with, you know, digital film. And and that's precisely why your iPhone camera now is using, you know, chip-based imaging technology that... uh, likely costs less than $20, but is equivalent to, you know, the multi thousand dollar DSLR cameras that used to be sold by the OEMs.
0: Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Good point. So yeah. So, so it's that point of care ultrasound stuff that you're taking over, isn't it? it it's you're, you're saying like, look, this is super portable. You only need one probe. It's brand new chip technology, which means that all of this you can actually believe because it is an incremental change on, on what we were doing before, but we're not going to replace, you know, an $80,000, 80,000 pound radiology machine that that sat with the consultant radiologist. We're going to take all that kind of point of care ultrasound i.e when people are wheeling ultrasounds around to you know put difficult lines in or check for fluid in in the emergency department and things what you're saying is that this is a this is a a better more incremental um incrementally improved way of doing that and actually the market for that is huge and i suppose when it comes to that as well if you improve point-of-care ultrasounds quality as a whole it must then open up new value propositions if you want to use a business term or actually just new clinical areas to use point-of-care ultrasound because it strikes me that one of the reasons the point of care ultrasound isn't done that often might be because of the quality. It might be because it's difficult to train people on it and things like that. But if you're finding a mechanism to, to increase point of care as a, as a field of, of medicine, point of care ultrasound as a field of medicine, it stands to it seems clear to me that you could be at the center of driving a new way of practicing that means like GPs might use it in, in the community or, you know, other other kind of value propositions like that. Right. How do you feel about all of those different things? There's like a thousand questions there. So sorry for that.
1: (laughs) That is precisely right. I mean, that's the the beauty and the power of low end disruption is that you end up uh, expanding the overall market size. And so that's precisely what we're seeing. You know, when I shared with you the, the, the backlog of reservations we had, and as we've started shipping to, you know, tens of thousands of practitioners here in the United States and, and internationally as we enter international markets, what we're seeing is it's not just the traditional users of ultrasound who are purchasing our devices. It's also the traditional non-users of ultrasound, right? We're seeing um, medical students. And in fact, just a couple weeks ago at UC yeah. Irvine here in the United States, the entire incoming uh, class at their white coat ceremony were presented with butterfly. Oh, I, did,
0: I did see this actually. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah.
1: So we're seeing medical students, we're seeing GPs, we're seeing uh, primary care physicians. We're seeing uh, also the traditional users of ultrasound. Those have been primed with POCUS or point of care ultrasound, like emergency medicine physicians, internal medicine, et cetera, purchasing. And that really suggests that the product market fit and the disruption is such that we're seeing this market expansion play out before our eyes.
0: Mm. Yeah, that does strike me as the case. And what about the developing world? And this is where we can kind of bring the Gates Foundation in, I imagine. What are you guys doing out there? Because I can, you know, off the top of my head, I can think of a few different use cases out there.
1: Yeah, great question. So, um, you know, two thirds of the world's population has no access to, to medical imaging of any kind. And when Jonathan started Butterfly, as was the case with every one of his companies, really he started it with, the desire to improve the life of someone he loves. And in this case, many people he, who, who he loves who have no access to medical imaging. And so when we say our mission is to democratize medical imaging, it's, it's really not lip service. We, we took the Gates Foundation on as an investor during this last uh, capital raise, as I mentioned. And part of that investment was a partnership agreement to bring this technology to the 53 lowest resource countries on earth. And, and that's something that we're actually living and breathing right now. We have a global health website, we have global health partnerships with folks like the Gates Foundation, like Bridge to Health, which in fact was featured on the cover of the New York Times, wherein we're getting this technology to the most remote locations on earth where there is no imaging whatsoever. And so with Bridge to Health, for example, and with the Gates Foundation, two areas of focus are fetal and maternal health. Um, We're doing a lot of work in the pediatric pneumonia space. It, it just so happens that pediatric pneumonia is the number one killer of children uh, in the developing world. 2,400 children die every day because of pediatric pneumonia. And ultrasound, as you know, can be used to look for beelines or fluid in the lungs. And so it's, it's a really important diagnostic tool and imaging modality to triage um, those, those patients and, and actually help deliver the care that's, that's potentially life-saving. So it's a, you know, global health. Uh, in summary, is, is core to who we are at Butterfly. And we make very strategic, very operational decisions based on this goal of getting our devices to those who need it the most.
0: Mm. Interesting. So let's, let's talk about business models a sec. So we've got, we've got these two different areas. You've got the developing world and you've got the developed world. And in the developed world, there are obviously point of care devices that you could replace there are in the future that it seems like the market could grow as the the sector kind of expands for point of care mm-hmm. are you but are you are you expecting to do let's talk about the developed world to begin with so sure. let are you expecting to do quite a lot of sales b to c because again i can imagine there's there's lots of there's lots of people who are tech savvy there are consultants that want that enjoy using ultrasound and are more kind of savvy than others with ultrasound that I imagine would just bypass their normal kind of procurement systems and, and long processes and just purchase it themselves because of the price point. Are you expecting to do a lot of sales that way or are you more focused on that kind of more systems level and, and kind of proving it with health economics and doing it that way or is it kind of like a, a double approach?
1: The answer is really both. Um and, and what I mean by that is, you know, we refer to our strategy as having one foot in today and one foot in tomorrow.
0: The one foot in tomorrow
1: The one foot in tomorrow really refers to um you know this e-commerce B2C channel, which when we decided to sell ultrasound on um on, on e-commerce, by the way, was a, a very disruptive decision um fast forward this is our first year of shipping devices commercially 90 percent of our sales are coming through e-commerce yes. right and we're on track to sell more devices this year than all of the other incumbents in the point of care ultrasound space combined we've already surpassed that number um, so the e-commerce channel is an incredibly effective channel insofar as your early adopters who represent i would say 10 to 20 percent of the market most likely are using it as a mechanism to actually purchase these devices. And what we've seen is as these early adopters purchase the devices and because they are the innovators, they're evangelizing about our product on social media, Mm. you know, on Twitter, on, on Facebook, on Instagram. And that is indeed starting to permeate the large enterprise institutions. And so what we've now done is we've invested um, heavily in the enterprise sales infrastructure, particularly here in the United States, such that we can cross that chasm from early adopters to mass market adoption. Mm. And what we're seeing is tremendous success with both of those market segmentations, which again speaks to the disruptive potential of this device playing out before our very own eyes.
0: Interesting. Are they reporting back these early adopters as to what they're actually doing with the ultrasound? I mean, do you know, do you know the kind of use cases that they're doing? Because I, you know, I think, you know, I wrote about it when I wrote the article about, you know, the education piece and it could be used in clinics or emergency departments. Are they, are they do they report back to you, are you guys checking out this stuff?
1: Well, the beautiful thing about our solution is because it's both hardware and software, we actually know how all <laughs> of our devices are being yeah. used, right? So we, yeah. we can track the telemetry. We know, how devices are being used, what the top presets are, how much scanning time is happening globally um, every day, every minute, every hour, every week. And so the level of data that we're collecting and the, the key insights we can glean from that about our user activities and utilization, really unprecedented. There's There are very few medical device companies globally that can um, glean the same level of granularity of insights on their user base and so Mm -hmm. we watch this fastidiously we make sure we understand which um presets are being used the most why they're being used and then we you know effectively iterate and ideate on our product and software roadmap based on what our users want and what our users need
0: Mm. and when you say the top presets i know what that means because you've explained it to me but do you want to tell our listeners what you mean by that
1: Sure. So a- as we discussed, you know, our device um, is, is really the world's first whole body ultrasound device. And when we received our FDA clearance and our CE mark, it was the broadest clearance at the time for any ultrasound device. And what that means in practice is that uh, our device can image the entire body. So abdominal scanning, cardiac scanning, lung, MSK, nerve, OB, pediatrics, small organs, soft tissue, you name it. There's uh, over 13 presets on our device, um, and you don't need multiple devices uh, to to image or multiple probes to image the entire body anymore um, because of this chip-based solution. And so we know which of these presets, which of these clinical applications is being used the most and which is being used the least. And a lot of that is a function of the user, right? A cardiologist will naturally use the cardiac setting (laughs) more than the MSK setting. Uh, but a general practitioner might actually be quite versatile in what they use insofar as the, the UI or the experience in app is is so intuitive um, and easy to follow that it enables whole body ultrasound scanning. And that, that's exactly what we're seeing.
0: Cool. So let's go now to the global health strategy. So the the developing world, what's your business model there?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the business model is, is not too different uh, from the business model we have for the developed world with the mm. exception being uh, enterprise uh, doesn't really exist in many of these geographies that we're entering. Mm. The beautiful thing is with the Gates foundation as a partner, we're now able to get our devices and leverage the infrastructure and networks that they have to get these devices to places that need them the most. And so you take a, a you know country like Uganda, for example, Uh, where I think the number of radiologists in the entire country is less than 50, right? Now we can actually work with NGO partners like the Gates Foundation to roll out training programs or to leverage some of the existing training programs they have to use these devices in real world and clinical settings. And so at a $2,000 price point, it's actually quite um, disruptive, even in the developing world setting. Um, But certainly our NGO partners are the ones that Um, are providing us that infrastructure to get to the larger uh, mass market adoption in these developing countries.
0: Mm. I'll tell you what's quite interesting. There's a documentary out at the moment. It's on Netflix on Bill Gates. I don't know if you've seen it. They've had, yes, they've had three parts so far. So I actually learned a heck of a lot about the way that he actually deploys his cash and, and you know, shows meetings in the Gates foundation and things. He doesn't just give his money away and, he definitely wants there to be an element of sustainability, a business model. There needs to be proof that what he's doing is going to actually seed growth and actually, you know, protect things for the future, rather than just pure philanthropic, oh, it doesn't matter if we lose it sort of thing. You know, it's, it's that teach a man to fish sort of attitude, which I really liked. So it, how, does, how does bringing somebody in like the Gates Foundation Help you as a business. I mean, has it has does that give you access to more conversations? Do people turn heads more, or is it just a case of that was actually just the best place to get the money for a few different reasons? Well, I
1: think your point about his investment philosophy aligns perfectly with our own. Right, mm. uh, when we say do well by doing good, we mean it. We could have chosen to take capital from venture capital or private equity, or even mm. one of our competitors. But we were very explicit in not doing so because we wanted to find organizations like the foundation, the Gates Foundation, that aligned with us on this mission. And so they have critical insights, critical learnings, based on all the work they're doing on a a global health basis that we've actually really, I would say, um, appreciated and incorporated into our own strategy. The Gates Foundation is actually helping us with a lot of our go-to-market strategy in these developing markets. And... Really, again, the primary goal is just delivering care, delivering these life saving technologies to those who need it the most. And so, from that perspective, um, they're an incredibly synergistic partner and, and one that we're very grateful to work with.
0: I think very interesting and pertinent point about certain types of investment driving different goals and certain investors sat on your board will demand different things of you and push your company in a different way choosing your investors is so important and i think when you at your scale have somebody like the Gate, the gates foundation that not only makes it okay to be using a developing world model as well but actually advocates for it and holds you accountable for it and actually wants to drive growth not only for your company but clearly has goals to drive growth for those areas and those countries i think it's it's a really it's a great way of of having somebody there in in, in on the board of the company that that is actually driving it in a way that protects those values and 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 drives the company in in what I would consider to be the right way, you know, so not only making money, but doing it in a way that creates true impact. So it must be nice having that accountability as well, because I imagine that they're not passive investors.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that that's absolutely right. And you know, it's interesting um, nowadays there's, there's effectively a choice in terms of the investor archetypes. There are those who are um, patient for profitability and who favor growth. And then there are those who are impatient for profitability and put that as the the primary priority. Right. And in our case, um, we are patient for profitability because we know that when we make impact our metric value comes as well, you know, we could have priced this device at 5,000 or 6,000 us dollars and had equal success and probably, you know, maximize profitability along this elasticity of demand curve. The Mm. reality though is, $2,000 $2,000 is a truly impactful and personal price point, and we've seen that with personal computers and laptops and cell phones, etc. And if we change the price going forward, it will only be going down and never up. And, that, and that's really core to our, um, our first principles, if you will, about the mm. impact ahead of profitability.
0: Pricing's a funny one though isn't it because there must be people that question well in fact i did it earlier didn't i question the quality just based on the price point
1: yeah that's true i mean you know the the analogy um for lack of a better one is you know when you tell someone um that um you're introducing uh you know a ferrari for the price of a toyota most people are going to say well does that ferrari actually have the performance of a true ferrari of course. In this case, in this case, it does, right? And that's why it's so disruptive and eye-opening. And really, the the story um, as we're commercializing this technology is not one that we have to tell. It's one that our customers are telling every day. And what they're saying is, "Wow, this really is impactful. This really is um, at parity with you know the higher-end competitive product offerings." And and that's why this is so disruptive right? If it were a gimmick or if it weren't there, um, that would become um, obvious quite quickly. But the fact that so many practitioners are using this every day in their practice um, is, I think, quite telling.
0: Yeah, it, it is. It is telling. I mean, so as part of writing the article on you guys, which I hope was quite balanced, I think it was, I spoke to a few people that actually use your devices. And, you know, I spoke to uh, someone in Ireland who uses it you know a lot for education and a little bit in accident and emergency I spoke to somebody who uses it on helicopters but these people you know they've they found a, a way to use it that works for them and they are experiencing value from it and they are then communicating that to people like me to ask them and I sh- assume you know all the other clinicians that you will see from your metrics of people coming through I think word of mouth is just such an incredibly powerful marketing tool in healthcare. I think it's probably the most important if of any, because clinicians, I mean, particularly in the UK where we have a public healthcare system in the NHS, you know, people are so anti-capitalist and they just do not want to be sold anything. And, you know, rightly so when, when it's people's health on the line. Yeah. And so it's word of mouth just becomes this just, ludicrously powerful tool that when, I mean, I used I used say this all the time, you know, if I'm, if I'm giving people sales consultancy for, for the NHS, or whatever, you've got to get clinicians to sell to each other. You've got to get NHS people to sell to each other. You cannot go in bulldozing with, you know, wonderfully shiny slides and laminated thing. You know, it just doesn't work. You've just got to deliver value and expect the people in there to go and talk about it themselves, which sounds like it's a lot, a lot to do with your strategy, right?
1: Uh, Word of mouth is indeed the most powerful um, referral mechanism, if you will, uh, certainly amongst the the B2C or the, uh, I would say, the early adopter crowd. Yeah. Right. But it's also a powerful mechanism amongst the enterprise crowd. Right. Uh, Once you sign on that first beachhead enterprise institution, once you have a UCI rolling out, um, you know, 104 butterfly IQs for every incoming medical student. Well, then Harvard Medical School and Stanford Medical School and Yale, et cetera, et cetera, start to realize, wow, this is actually a movement. It's not a gimmick. It's not a, a short term, um, you know, change in behavior. It is a sustaining change in behavior that is going to change the way healthcare is practiced. That's when that referral and that, that social pressure, if you will, really clicks in and kicks in in a way that creates uh, changes in behavior systemically.
0: Yeah. And I can see elements of competition coming in as well, because if there's, Certain consultants that you know, when it's their week on call, they're just cracking through the patients and getting discharges quicker, and their ward rounds go quicker, and all all these different things, right? That could well come out of any medical innovation. To be perfectly honest, but certainly something that allows you know ultrasound at the bedside. I can imagine yeah. that elements of competition will start creeping in. You know, friendly competition, and and you know, things will be said, and registrars will, will roll their eyes when people don't have it potentially in the future. But that you know that that is interesting to me. You know that the, the the picture of the future. And I think this, it it could lead to so many different things, but how do you kind of see the future with the butterfly device?
1: Yeah, I think there's a, there's a really interesting, uh, historical anecdote, which is quite predictive and telling for our own future, especially our commercial strategy. If we look at, um, the go to market strategy of Apple versus Blackberry, I think that's mm-hmm. quite telling for us. Um, BlackBerry was fastidiously focused on the enterprise by selling into um, you know, the uh, chief information officer, the, um, the folks in IT who controlled procurement for large enterprise and fleet-wide deals. Yeah. And what they effectively did was their go-to-market was a top-down fleet-wide mandate across large corporates. What Apple did was they created such an elegant and yet sophisticated and impactful and useful user interface and operating system that the the consumers, the individuals who are actually using it would show up to work. And instead of using their Blackberry, they would use their iPhone. They would forward emails (laughs) from their Blackberry to their iPhone and communicate on their iPhone. And so what essentially happened was that word of mouth that solution that was so impactful and embraced so widely by the end consumer, effectively percolated, made its way up to the enterprise in such a way that by the time the administrators um, in large enterprise decision-making caught word of it and started rolling out these fleet-wide sales of Apple uh, devices, well, it was too late for BlackBerry. Mm. And of course, We know how that story ended, right? And, And that's very much telling in terms of how we're going to market. These individual practitioners who are evangelizing our device are really helping us step right into the enterprise in a way that is quite welcoming. And now that we're being welcomed by the enterprise, what we're seeing is both of those worlds are effectively colliding in a way that is suggesting that we're actually part of something which is much bigger than just ourselves. We're changing behavior. And this is a movement, a movement of POCUS, which was started about you know two decades ago almost, but now for the first time is becoming ubiquitous and universal. Mm.
0: You know, for the entrepreneurs listening in in health tech, in for just in health, whatever you're trying to sell to organizations, whether it's services, whether it's devices, whether it's other technology, I say this all the time about you need this top-down and bottom-up approach. Because at the end of the day. I've seen so many technologies that people will say, oh, the CEO loves it, or Matt Hancock, who's our health secretary, loves it, or Jeremy Hunt loved it. You know, all these different things, or the CEO of NHS England loves it. And it's like, well, that's great if they're going to buy one. But other than that, it's pretty meaningless. And similarly, if one clinician at the bottom end likes something, well, great, if they're going to buy it, it's the same thing what you need to do is actually convince people up and down that chain until you find the key stakeholders that actually influence these things and actually have the ability to communicate upwards communicate the value upwards in in terms of financials and deficiency but also communicate the value downwards to people that might be using it to save them time or increase the quality of the care for patients and all these different things and there are so many different value propositions that need to be met for a healthcare innovation and a health tech innovation that people really often do get bogged down by trying to convince a singular person that it's a great idea and even at scale you know even convincing like a singular organization it's a good idea you know it's more just about kind of what you're doing which is where i'm going with this which is you've got the innovation there it is it is definitely a step up in terms of what's happening in ultrasound but it's releasing it in a way that the market can receive it it's the market can then use it however the market uses it and you will find your value propositions like you have already done ones in education One's in accident and emergency looking for fluid on the, on, on the lungs or hemothorax, whatever it is. Another one is in intensive care. Another one is, in, and so you'll, you're gradually going to pick up these different value propositions and then you can strengthen them with your sales team, right? Because then you know exactly where you're going to be going, you know, the the levels, you know, the organizations. And so it makes much more sense for me as, um, as a, as a strategy. But I think that's probably what, only comes with a guarantee that you have actually created something useful. And I'm sure $250 million behind you allows you to make a, a few mistakes <laughs> through trial and error as well, which is quite nice.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's again, absolutely right. A, lo- a lot of folks uh, who are entrepreneurs or introducing technology uh, into the market, whether it's healthcare or it's software as a service, they think they need to be everything to all people right? Mm -hmm. And the reality is it's almost impossible to create a solution that is everything to all people. But so long as you know what the different stakeholders want and what they prioritize, and you have responses for each of those, as long as those responses are sufficient and improve the way that their daily lives function, or they practice care, or they, um, you know, prioritize security, etc., well, then you're going to see something which is, is is adopted by the mass market, right? And that's exactly what you're seeing. The different stakeholders each have different priorities. When you sell into a hospital and you're dealing with the head nurse, he or she has a different priority than the end user, the physician that's going to be actually using it in their daily care. And that changes from the PICU to the NICU. That's different if you're in a hospital that's value-based or capitated. All of these different nuances really change the prioritization of the end user. And being able to understand, be receptive to those different priorities is really, I think, the, the art, if you will, of go to market strategy and commercializing technologies which then roll out um, in mass
0: wonderfully summarized i think darius and what a wonderful note to end on um it's been an absolute pleasure having you on i think i think you know it's a really really interesting innovation you know the fact that you've raised the amount of money that you have through the partners that you have the the strategy that you've got, the I guess the runway that you're going to have on that to really try and drive this innovation in and provide actual value to the health system means that I'm super excited to see what you guys do. And the way that we end these podcasts, Darius, is I hand back over to you to summarize a little bit about yourself, a little bit about Butterfly. And then if you've got any asks of our audience who, as I mentioned, are clinicians, investors, corporates, you name it, then feel free to close us out with those asks. So over to you, sir.
1: Sure. Um, so again, my name is Darius Shigida. I'm the head of growth and chief of staff here at Butterfly. I help oversee our commercial business globally. Um, at Butterfly, we brought to market the world's first and lowest cost whole body ultrasound, which for less than $2,000, less than 2000 euros and 2000 pounds, um, is able to image the entire human body. And we paired that with software that makes it now also intuitive and easy to use. And so we see this as a truly disruptive innovation that's gonna change the way that ultrasound is practiced amongst the 40 million healthcare practitioners globally. Um, If that's something which is exciting to you, if you wanna be a part of a company that's mission driven and that is really changing healthcare globally, well, my one ask would be, please apply, we're growing. Quite rapidly in many different geographies. We'll be shipping a product in almost 20 markets by the end of the year. We launched in nine countries just last week. We're in the UK, we're in Ireland, we're in Australia, New Zealand and broader continental Europe and so we're looking for talented um, creative thinking individuals who uh, share our mission and want to do good uh, for the world. Thank you James.
0: If people want to get in touch with you, Darius, what's the best way for either you or the company?
1: So uh, if you're interested in joining our team, uh, please go to our website. Um, We have a careers page. You can see all the open roles. If you're interested in purchasing a butterfly IQ and um, uh, you're in one of the countries that we're currently shipping to, it's as easy as going to our website and clicking purchase. We also have accessories and we'll be launching a veterinary product soon as well, which is quite exciting. We just announced that last, uh, last month, actually. Um, so our website is pretty easy to navigate and has all of the information that you would need.
0: Amazing. And I will put the links to websites and LinkedIn's and emails and things in the description of this episode. So Darius, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure and I wish you all the best.
1: Pleasure was mine.
0: Hey, everybody, and thanks for listening to this week's episode and making it all the way to the end. If you enjoyed it, remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow us on all of our socials so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.